guys, I think that winter is over. I am feeling really positive about that because I've just been so happy all day because of the sun, right? Is anyone else in that boat? And you think like the dark days, they're gone. It's amazing. So that's just how I'm feeling today. Um, but this, this evening we're going to be speaking about healing. And actually, we were, we were talking about that at Alpha this morning as well. And I just want to start by telling you a really encouraging story. So this morning at Alpha, they were talking about healing and they were praying for healing as well, which is incredible. Um, and there was a lady that was there. She was just visiting. She's here on holiday. Her and um, her husband were here visiting from America. They just wanted to come to church. They ended up at an Alpha course, which must, must be kind of weird. And they ended up up here and she'd had a, a knee replacement a few years ago or recently I'm, I'm not actually sure of the time scale but her knee was actually still really sore and it was really stiff and she was having a lot of trouble just operating with this knee and some people prayed for her this morning and she left with no pain in her knee at all being able to move it completely freely which she hasn't been able to do in ages and that is through the power of God working whenever we ask him what he wants to do in people's lives isn't that amazing like some random lady from America. So cool. So tonight we're going to be talking about healing. And I want to start by telling you a story about a friend of mine called Rab. And if you have heard me tell this story before, then I don't actually care because it's a great story. So if you have heard it, you're just going to have to humor me. And if you haven't, then here you go. Here's a great story. So I met Rab through um, this charity called CAP, Christians Against Poverty. We work a lot with, with CAP here in Central. And I met Rab a few years ago through that. And Rab wasn't a Christian. He was an older guy. He was blind as well. Um, and we were spending some time with him, some CAP clients. We were praying for them and listening to God for them. And, and I... Um, when I, was, when I was praying with Rab, one of the things that he said to me, when, like he did not believe in Jesus, he was like, well, like if your God is powerful, then surely he could like heal my sight so that I can see. And I was like, oh, oh no. You know, I'm just being honest, you know? It's that moment when someone's a blind person says to you, can your God make me see? And I'm like, I've read my Bible, so yes, I believe that he can. I don't know if he will, but I, I can ask him, would you let me pray for you? And so I, I swear, guys, I used all the right words. And I prayed my very best prayers, and I was shaking in my boots. And I prayed and I prayed. And that day, Rab did not receive his sight. And I was like, God, what are you doing? Did you not see the great setup that I just gave you? Like, if he doesn't believe in Jesus, if you had healed his sight, he would 100% have believed in you today. Like, what are you doing? Also, like, I totally put myself out on a limb here because obviously it's all about me. And, you know, you totally stood me up. Like, what is going on? And I was, I, I mean, I'm making a joke about it, but like, I actually was really angry and I was really upset and I felt like an idiot because I had prayed and I had asked God to do something incredible that I've read in the Bible that he can do. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, what is going on? Eventually, we spent some more time with Rab. We ended up actually doing an alpha course with him in his house, just me and my friend Duncan. And guys, the irony is thick. Watching the alpha videos with someone who's blind. 
it is it was just a really really weird thing but anyway rab amazingly gave his life to jesus and he cultivated this just incredibly beautiful relationship with jesus and the thing was rab had lived a very tumultuous life and he had been very unkind to himself throughout his life and it actually was really suffering with like acute liver failure and so a few year a few months after we met him he actually died he passed away because he was really really ill and when that happened, I, I got it and I realized something and it really made me understand something around healing that can be so hard to come to terms with. Why would God heal Rab when I prayed for him so that he could open his eyes and see me? Whenever he knew that in a few months time, Rab's time would be up, and he could open his eyes and the first person he would see would be Jesus. I mean, that is a way better deal. And I don't understand everything that happens within the realm of healing. And we will all come with different expectations. But I understood something that day about God being in charge. So tonight we're talking about healing. Sometimes we see people physically healed immediately, like that woman this morning, and sometimes we pray with immense diligence and nothing happens. We all come to this with a ready-made experience and expectation of healing, and this is hard stuff to grapple with, and it's hard because it's really real, like it really matters, but we want to be people who sit in the middle of it. Right? We want to be people who grapple with the hard things. This is what this whole series that we're in is about, foundations. We need something good to build on. We are not doing the whole construction here. We are dealing with the stuff that everything else rests on. So let's read the Bible together. We're going to go to Mark, the book of Mark, which is one of the uh, Gospels that tells the story of Jesus Mark chapter 5, 21, starting at verse 21. It's going to be in the screen if you want to follow along there. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him and while, he was, while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And something that's good to know here is that at this point in his ministry, Jesus was not popular with the synagogue set. He, in fact, he was distinctly unpopular. And Jairus was a synagogue leader, so he should have at least remained neutral, if not actually been pretty against Jesus. But look what he did. He was a desperate man. He came and he fell at his feet. He shouldn't even have been talking to him. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And again, there's an, another good thing to know here is that there were all these rules and regulations in Jewish culture about what made you clean or unclean and what that could mean for you. And because this woman was in a continual state of bleeding, that meant that she would have been continually unclean, which meant that she was an outcast for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing that it had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, don't you just love Jesus? After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl I say to you, get up. This is a beautiful phrase. It can also be translated as arise little lamb. Isn't that beautiful? It's so tender. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Let me pray. So Jesus, we want to hear from you and we are ready to hear from you. We believe that this is your word, so will you come and speak to us? We want to know you with us. Amen. So in the Gospels, which record the life of Jesus, there are 37 miracles that are recorded that Jesus performed, and 28 of them are healing. So Jesus heals. That is a huge part of his ministry that is an example to us. He is true to his name. In the Old Testament, God has given many names, and one of them is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. But yet so often, we look for healing on our own terms, don't we? Like we have a desired timeline and an obvious outcome. And what we see in this story is exactly what we often see in real life as well. It's a roundabout, like unexpected twisting and turning and long awaiting way of getting to the thing that we so desired and often with many other things that we didn't expect along the way. God heals, he does. And we see it marked out for us again and again in the life of Jesus. But we also see it again and again in the stories that we hear today. He just doesn't always do it on our terms. So what do we learn from this passage? I think there are four things that we learn. I'm going to walk through them this evening. The first thing that we learn is that this story shows us what God is like. This story shows us what God is like. 
What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And often, the most revealing thing about us. The Bible says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. This older woman that we read about in this story, she had been ill for 12 years. And there are some of you here tonight who will no doubt understand really long illnesses. But I don't even think that many of us would get what this woman had to deal with. Because you see, for her, it wasn't just a physical problem. It was a social problem. It was a relational problem. It was a financial problem. It was a religious problem. She was an outcast. Her bleeding made her consistently unclean, which meant she couldn't be around other people. She couldn't be touched. She couldn't be held. She couldn't touch others. She couldn't embrace someone she loved. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't worship there. The list goes on. Look what it says, verse 26. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And doctors in those days were kind of almost more akin to like magicians really in their remedies. And often it was a fairly torturous process that people went through. And it hadn't even worked. It hadn't even worked. This is emotive language that we read here. She is desperate. In fact, she shouldn't have even been there that day. Crowds, remember? She wasn't allowed to be around people. She was unclean. She just wanted a touch. She wanted a touch of healing. And she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, then I would be healed. And here's the clincher. You see, she wasn't even looking for an interaction. She wasn't looking for a conversation. She was a desperate woman on a last-ditch attempt. Get in, get out. Maybe it'll work. I have nothing left. And then the man who everyone is looking at turns around and says, so everyone can hear, who touched me? Can you imagine? Like heart in your mouth, your stomach in knots. She confesses that it was, it was her and what a risk she was taking. She probably thinks, like, this is it. I am done for. Why did I come here today? I might, have, I might feel that I have been healed in my body, but now everybody knows that I'm here and I'm in trouble because it would have been that way with anybody else. Any other leader would have taken a very harsh course of action with her. She was suddenly completely exposed. We see in Jesus, we see what God is like. He turns to her and he says, daughter. It's a word of love. 
It's a word of affection, of endearment. It's a word of acceptance. In Jesus, we see God and he is not cold and he is not a distant force. He is not heaping blame and judgment on us. He is warm, he is open, and he is scanning the crowd. And we read that he knew that power had gone out from him, but that wasn't enough for him. To Jesus, she was not just another face in the crowd. She was not just another person bustling around him. And it's the same with us. To Jesus, you are not just another face in the crowd. You are a son. You are a daughter. We so often come to God like that woman did. Like we just want to touch. We just want a little bit of power. And when we get it, we slip back to where we were content with just a touch but that is not enough for God he wants so much more he wants to be with us he wants to speak to us he wants to look us in the face Where in your life do you need to stop acting like a consumer and start acting like a son or a daughter? Because you see, this is so crucial to our understanding of this God who heals. Where have you been content with just a touch? Maybe you've thought that's all you deserved. He's calling us out tonight. Who touched me? I want to know you, my son, my daughter. This story shows us what God is like. And this story teaches us about God's timing as well, which is just always such a bone of contention with me when it comes to healing, or breakthrough especially, because I think back to my friend Rab, and I just, I did not understand God's timing there at all. Like, I get it now, and I can stand here and tell you a nice, neat story But at the time, I didn't get it. And I so badly wanted him to see. I didn't just pray for Rab that one time when I was with him. I prayed over and over and over again that Rab would be healed. And I didn't understand. Look at the timing in this story. Both are urgent matters. Both are like end of my tether kind of stories. The woman has been ill for 12 years. She is out of money and she is out of options. This is it. Jairus comes and says, my daughter is dying like right now. She is on death's door. Please, will you come and help? And Jesus says, okay, yes, let's go. And he goes and then he stops and he has this whole big long interaction with the woman. And we read that and we're like, oh, that's amazing. She got healed. But Jairus is still there. He must have just been like, what are you doing? Did you not hear what I just said? 
I just told you that my daughter was dying and you said you would come and now you've stopped with this woman. Are you ready? Guys, are you ready for a glib phrase that if you have been around church for any length of time, you will 100% have heard before? God's timing is not our timing. Don't you just hate it when somebody says that to you? And like through gritted teeth, you're like, "Uh uh-huh. And inside you're like, I want to punch you in the face. But we, we would never do that because that would be wrong. But we think about it. But seriously, like we don't see time the same way that God sees time. We see it as a a chronology of events. We see it as something that runs out. Not so with God. In 2 Peter 3 verse 8 it says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. We don't see time the same way that God sees time, whether we like it or not. He is in charge of time. So with him, he has it in abundance. We read on, some people from Jairus' house came and said to him, crushingly, Jairus, it's over. She's gone. She died. Don't bother Jesus anymore. You don't need him. Maybe you're saying to God, it's been 12 years, or it's been two years, or it's been 25 years, and I am still here waiting and suffering. Maybe you're saying to God, it's too late. I'm over. I'm over it. I'm done with it. It's gone. Where were you? Did you forget what I just told you? The worst thing that we can do in that moment is to walk away before hearing what God would have to say to us in response. Because remember, in Jesus we see what God is like. And so his words to Jairus are also his words to us. Verse 36 Overhearing what they they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid. I'm here, I am with you. I am suffering with you in this. I have borne your griefs and your sorrows and I feel this one too. Don't be afraid. I am right here. Just believe, choose faith, choose trust. I know it's hard, but it's better than the alternative. I like to think that that Jesus looked Jairus right in the eyes whenever he said this. Like he was saying, don't listen to the people around you. Don't listen to what they're saying. Look at me. It is you and me. I am right here. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And he says the same thing to us. My timing is not your timing. And all this is really important whenever we think about healing. Because we will never know the fullness of Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, if we don't search out an understanding of what God is really like. 
because the power and the wonders and the signs are wonderful, but only whenever we see them attached to the person, attached to who God is. He wants us to know him. The story teaches us about healing. The word that's used here is the word sozo, and it's used 106 times in the New Testament. And the majority of the times that it's used, it's actually translated as save. It's only a handful of times that it's translated as heal. It's where we get the word salvation from. Because you see, healing in the kingdom of God, the healing that Jesus shows us, and the healing that we can have is comprehensive, and it is all-encompassing. Jesus came to set us free in every area of our lives, every dimension of our lives. It's not like forgiveness is over here and then like healing is over here and we go between the two camps. It is all sozo. It is all save. It is all wholeness. Jairus likely watched that interaction with the older woman. Like he had just seen a miracle right in front of his eyes. He had just seen what Jesus was like right in front of his eyes. Maybe that was the point. It's like he's saying, Jairus, don't ignore what you've just seen and heard. Don't forget what I literally just did here. Keep on believing for yourself as well. Because with me, it is never too late. What have you seen? What have you heard? And what have you forgotten? Let God remind you of it tonight. Because, like, when you look at it, the little girl had died. You know? It seemed like that was it. And all we would assume was left was for Jairus to like slump home and grieve for his daughter. But Jesus had another plan. He said that he would go to the house, and he did. He did not let anyone follow him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat because nothing works up an appetite like rising from the dead. You see how normal this all is? Like, it's astonishing. It is amazing. But it's also very normal. Like, almost unnervingly so. Very normal actions. Out of his very mouth, no commotion, no wailing. He took her by the hand, so normal, so gentle. 
these words of love and of tenderness, little lamb, arise, get up, little one. It is so simple. I think we have overcomplicated healing because of all the different experiences that we've had of it. It becomes something that we've made kind of stressful. But that is not what Jesus teaches us here. He takes us by the hand and he tells us to get up. With him it is very simple. And it's very normal. And I think he wants the same for us. But what do you do whenever it doesn't happen? Like, what do you do then? Do you know, some of that I do not know. And I am not meant to. As much as I would like to. But this I do know. All healing this side of heaven is temporary. Because we may get well. We may be healed. We believe for it and we will pray for it. And we will rise our faith and be expectant. But the odds are fairly stacked against us in that we are all going to die. Our healing, this, he this side of heaven is temporary. The hope for us, if we believe in Jesus, is resurrection. The hope for us is wholeness that will last forever. We are meant to live in the ache of the now and the not yet. We are meant to ask for the big things. We are meant to pray the big prayers. But we are also meant to always long for more. And sometimes, sometimes the ache is so big that you will feel like it will overshadow you if you focus on it alone. But if you look to Jesus, and that takes courage, that takes some effort from you as well. If you look to Jesus who says, son, daughter, who takes you by the hand, who says, don't be afraid, just believe. You may still feel the ache, but you will not be eclipsed by it. But you have to look at him. This story teaches us about faith and expectancy. Jairus risked everything to fall at Jesus' feet. He believed that God was at work in him. The woman risked her neck. She was somewhere she definitely should not have been. But she believed something about Jesus, and so she came. What is it that you believe? What do you believe about Jesus? Not, not what do you think? Not what do you say? Not even what do you do? In your heart, in the deepest, rawest, realest part of you, what do you believe about Jesus? It's the woman's faith that is rewarded. Jesus makes it clear to her, your faith has healed you, not my clothes. This is not a magic formula. You believe in me. In your 
desperate and tired state, you believe in me. You lean on me. Maybe you are in a desperate and tired state. Lean on Jesus. Don't just come and go. Don't be content with just a touch. Stay a while. Maybe you're angry. Maybe it's been a really long time and you're just angry. That's okay. I think, though, that sometimes anger is just a dressed-up version of a fear that it may never change. Don't choose fear tonight. Don't be afraid. Believe. That word believe there, it can also mean entrust, which I think is beautiful because sometimes we can think that we have to work it all up ourselves. But when you entrust something to someone else, that is a very different way of looking at it. What would it look like for you to entrust your healing, your breakthrough to Jesus? So there's an opportunity tonight to step into greater faith and expectancy. To entrust this to God. Because we don't entrust it to anyone else when it comes to healing. He is the healer. We pray, we speak, we ask, but he heals. And I think his words to us tonight are don't be afraid. Leave fear behind. Just believe again. Entrust it to me. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we entrust this to you. And no one else. We don't have to work you up. You are scanning the crowd for us. You are searching us out. Your eyes are upon us. You're not afraid to look at us. You are not ignoring us. And we believe it. We believe that you are Jehovah Rapha the God who heals us inside and out. We believe that your healing is sozo. It is wholeness. It is complete. It is all-encompassing. We forgive us, God, where we have looked for healing on our own terms. 
where really we have just trusted ourselves more than we have trusted you. Will you speak words of kindness to our hearts? We know your timing is not our timing. You are in charge of time. You created it. You hold it all. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we will know that deep heart whisper. Like really deep inside of us. Speaking right to the place of pain. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. So God, will you rise faith and expectancy in us again? Maybe for the hundredth time. We choose you tonight. Why don't you just take a moment in the silence. There doesn't need to be anything else around this. And bring that place of pain before Jesus, like you're that woman pressing through the crowd. Press through the crowd to Jesus. Bring that place of pain, of healing that you require before him. And let him look you in the eye and speak to you.